Welcome to the Bridge in the Gap podcast. Uh, Dave's on holiday this week, so I grabbed him before he headed off into the sunset with Amy to do a uh, a podcast following up on um, today's sermon. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Just, just so the listeners know, like I've made this rod for my own back. Like I suggest that you didn't say you need, you need to do this. So, <laughs> no, no, I, no. Yes, thanks for that because people tell me off sound, for cracking the whip. Otherwise, yeah, it makes you sound awful when actually I'm awful to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk. We talk about Genesis six and seven, and I, I have to admit, I'm glad we're doing this because I've it's been kind fresh. of relishing this because it's fresh, but also oh, okay. it gives me the chance to do what Dave has, you know, done to me in the past. Do you know? <laughs> do you know this morning? I this will make you laugh. I had it in my notes. God sets the agenda here, but Matt's the one who stitches me up. <laughs> but I decided, no, that sounds really loud. Uh, well, actually, now, come on, <laughs> on Mike, confess, you stitched yourself up, but you did have the chance to dodge this passage, and you didn't. Yeah. And so I'm going I'm to enjoy to myself. myself now. <laughs> I'm awful to myself, basically. Because this passage yeah. um, has, well, okay, before we get into the specifics, let's just say the first four verses of um, chapter uh, six. Yep. Um, I've got some interesting stuff in there, so let me tee you up to give you a chance to get your defense in yeah. first. Why didn't you go into that stuff in verses one to four, Dave? <laughs> uh, so I think verses one to four is probably one of the most difficult, most difficult sequence of verses to know what is being said, yeah. and yet is also part of one of the clearest passages in all scripture, which sounds weird. So <laughs> You could say the forest is really obvious, yeah. but the individual trees are very confusing. Mm. So the big idea, which is what I said, a bleak picture, uh, humanity, very bad, God, very sad, very mad. Mm. That was very clear. And I didn't, I thought we could spend 10 minutes looking at all the individual trees. Oh, easy. And the, yeah, at least 10 minutes. And the end of it would still be, Oh, so it could be any of these three, and God's mad. So I, I, I yeah. felt like uh, it might be best for the sake of clarity, time, the congregation as a whole, to focus on the clear things and the main yeah. things, and focus on the secondary stuff for the podcast. Especially since we have, as we had visitors from other churches, mm. one, two, also like there's people who are in our congregation who wouldn't say that they're Christians yet. Yeah. So. You want to focus on the stuff that's really clear, the gospel. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I'm still going to give you a hard time on these particular questions, Absolutely, yeah. but I completely agree because the the main points you made would stand whatever these first four verses are about. Yeah, um, few. Yeah. So, but but here comes the next question. Yeah. So, who who on earth, like literally, who yeah. on earth are the sons of God? Then in verse two, so the sons of God yeah. saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. Okay. Uh, here's three ways of understanding this. All of them fine. All of them. Like, yep. You're not in trouble if you believe these. Yeah. Option one, they are a line of kings. So sometimes in the Old Testament, a king is called a son of God. So uh, I think that's that would be true of the Egyptians as well, wouldn't it? They would talk about the Pharaoh as the son of the gods. Mm. Uh, we see it in Psalm 82, for example. Uh David or Jesus descended from David, yeah. so he's the son of God. But there's nowhere we find kings plural, so we don't see mm. the son, like sons of God plural to be talking about a line of kings. Uh, and also, 
from what we've been doing in Genesis 1 to 5, contextually, we've not been thinking or talking about kings. Yeah, That's much right. later on in Israel's history. So I don't think it's kings, me personally. Mm-hmm. Option two, uh, lots of people think this is about angels because uh, Job 1621, that opening sort of scene in Job, yeah. that's they're described angels are called the sons of god yeah or presenting themselves uh in genesis 18 we see that angels visit humans so people say well if angels can visit humans this must be about angels uh sons of god must be angels taking women to be their wives yeah the reason i don't think this is the case is because uh again contextually the flood is god's judgment on humanity mm. so it doesn't make much sense for god to judge the angels by killing the why it just doesn't yeah and also you get into like funny territory of well that would mean that angels are sleeping with human How beings that work? which is weird <laughs> and jesus also says that angels are are in heaven will neither be given a marriage yeah. will be like the angels which mm. implies that there won't be mm-hmm. so again don't think it's angels but lots you've had to do a lot of thinking on this one haven't you dave yes and lots (laughs) of the like old commentaries so like oh lord forbid (laughs) like calvin and stuff don't think it's angels calvin got a mention didn't take long and uh i don't agree with him yeah Ah, um then so i think the third option is this is about the chosen line of seth so the sons of god are seth's the righteous line the line of faith we're intermarrying with the line of Cain, the the sinful yeah. line. Uh, so, I think even the language "saw" and "took" is the is the language of Genesis three. Mm. How Adam and Eve, who saw the fruit, yeah. saw it attractive, desirable to the eyes, and they took and ate. So, I think that's what yeah. who the sons of God are. Yeah, um, I I think I'd be be the same place as you. You know, wrestled with this on and off over the years a lot. <laughs> I preach on Genesis, and I think that's the one that kind of makes most sense to me. Actually, I think the ESV translation almost helps a bit. It mm. Says the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive rather than hu- saying humans. Yeah, the humans translation almost makes it sound like you're comparing yeah. angels to humans. Yeah, but um, I yeah, because you made very clear this morning, God was judging the sin of humanity and how intense it got. That's what He was doing in the flood. Yeah, but this there's potentially something else going on there, isn't there? That he's protecting the yeah. godly line of Seth that will lead to the Messiah too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, what you said would fit very well with that. Um, okay. So uh, you're not quite off the hook with those early verses because another question then people might be asking is, so verse four, the Nephilim yeah. were on the earth in those days when, <laughs> the, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So Nephilim, what's what different group of people same people or angels or what who, who on earth uh similar answer would probably be to say no idea <laughs> yeah. in the sense of the commentary or not the commentators the people who translate the bible mm. read the word nephilim and they don't know what it means yeah so they don't translate it hence us yeah having that word there yeah, yeah. so uh they don't translate it so uh i think one of the compelling bits that i read in one of the commentaries was that it's like a chronological marker. So like how you might say in the days of Churchill yeah. and people be like, oh, well, that must be in the 1870s or the 19, 19- <laughs> like it's in that range. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's like if you said for us when Pete Evans was here, people yeah. would be like, oh yes, I know that was back, <laughs> back then. So 
uh, what we're reading there about the Nephilim is basically saying when these people were around, the earth was full of wickedness. Um, elsewhere, the Nephilim are mentioned is Numbers 11, mm. when the spies go in the land, the spy it out, and they're scared of people because they see people who are like the Nephilim, yeah. mighty men, warriors of old. So mm. who are they? It's it's some subject some subjectivity, but I think they're mighty, terrifying group of warriors, almost like the immortals of the Persian Empire yeah. or the three hundred Spartans. Like mm. they're the elite fighting force, which again ties into uh, verses eleven and twelve, where God talks about the world being full of violence. So yeah. like the people, the Nephilim were men of renown, were heralded because they're violent men. So it's kind of like Moses is saying. So remember, well, this is this is before the flood, and that's you've heard of the Nephilim. Yeah. That's back in their time. Yeah, and quite possibly the people who heard read this would know exactly. Who yeah, they, men, they would be we, like, oh, we yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really helpful. Um, okay, so to move on from this, those first few verses, going on to more some of the stuff you said um, yeah. about around God being sad and mad, really, um, really helpful to put it that way to stick it in our heads. That then raises some sort of quite. Deep theological questions yeah. that we'll try and get into. Um, bit much bigger brains than ours have wrestled with these questions over yeah. centuries, but I think they're really important things for the people of God to think about. So, does God have emotions just like us? Mm. Um, so you said about Him being sad and mad, you know, uh, wrathful against sin, but then at the same time, we know that God is awesome and holy. He's the Creator is different to us, so. Does he have emotions just like us? So, uh, I suppose lots of different thoughts here. Hopefully it will be somewhat coherent. <laughs> uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, God is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, mm. basically. He's not like us. Yeah. Uh, in Malachi, we read, I, the Lord, do not change. There's also similar language in Psalm 102. Uh, Yahweh, the name of the Lord, I will be what I will be. Mm. He's always been. He doesn't change. Mm. And whenever we think about emotions or passions, we think of things happening to us which cause us to respond. Yeah. But things don't just happen to God. Like he's never yeah. taken... He's not surprised by anything. Hmm. He's not like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. Yeah, That's open theism, isn't it? That's God yeah, responding, basically. reacting yeah. Yeah. to, uh, yeah, responding, reacting to things that uh, are happening on earth. So he's unchanging. I find this helpful from Sinclair Ferguson as we sort of try to wrap our heads around that idea that God doesn't necessarily have emotion, doesn't have emotions like us. Hmm. Uh, you're going to push back on this, which will be helpful. <laughs> this is called the Cambridge change. Mm. So this is a concept that recognizes that sometimes we speak about a change taking place when no real change has taken place. Here's the example Sinclair Ferguson gives. There's uh, a young man. He's been helped in his Christian faith by an older man in the congregation whom he loves, respects, reads the Bible with. Then that older man's daughter comes home from university. That young man's never met her before. And he falls in love with her. He then marries that daughter. And Mr. Smith, who's been this mentor to the young man, is now his father-in-law. Mm. But Mr. Smith hasn't actually changed. The yeah. relationship's changed, but he's remained the same. So he's the same Mr. Smith, but 
yeah, the relationships change. Yeah. Uh, push back on that because I think there are things to be talked about. Yeah, we were chatting, <laughs> chatting about this off air when we were trying to figure out how much of this is <laughs> potentially useful for people in the church. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the, the fact you quoted the, uh, the Westminster uh, Confession. Um, you know, God is without passions. And I think what they were trying to do there was defend God against the idea, not defend God, you know what I mean? Make yeah. clear that um, God, like you said, doesn't have changeable emotions like us. I, I can make you feel a certain way if I punch you in the nose. Yeah. You can't make God feel anything. Yeah. Um, because hmm. as you said, he's unchangeable, he's all powerful. Um, and then the idea of the Cambridge change, I think I love the example you quoted there. You know, so it's not an actual change taking place in the person, it's a relative change, isn't it? Because something's changed in the other person. So the idea being God doesn't actually have changes inside him when the Bible describes him as having emotion type mm. affections. It's just that he's changing relative to us. So I, I sin and therefore God is in the position of being offended, but there's not been a, a change that's happened in God. Yeah. And that honestly, the bit I struggle with, and I admit it, I'm not like you, I'm not a professional philosopher. Um, the language of the Bible like the, the language that you were preaching about this morning seems to be saying that God was actually grieved. Yeah. So totally agree with you that he, it's not that he never foresaw he was going to be grieved. He is completely sovereign. He somehow this is ordained in his plan in his being. He didn't change because God's unchangeable. Yeah. And yet the language of the Bible seems to be saying that there's a real grief on God's part, not exactly like ours, but, there are parallels. So okay. for me, that's the Cambridge changes bit. It's really helpful, but doesn't quite go far enough. No. And I suppose like, uh, try not to say like still, but <laughs> that would mean that at the cross of Jesus, he's not, there's no response. Like he's and this is the ultimate example, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, and, I, and then, then of course the, the big brains, the theologians would say, yes, but of course with, with Jesus, who was unchanging God, he became human. So yeah. he could experience human emotion and yeah. human change, even whilst being unchanging God. Okay. My brain hurts. I can agree with that. But my old Testament seems to say yeah. that there's something happening in the heart of God, yeah. even while I accept yeah. completely what you, you laid out really well, that in his being, he's unchanging. Yeah. So I don't completely get that, but. Mm. And it's, it's, people probably sitting and being like, okay, so this is very confused like this is very confusing to wrap my head around but the reason the outcome is to remind ourselves that god's much bigger yeah than, than we think or understand or can comprehend mm. well you were saying off air when you were dead mentioned this morning about you can't can't completely get our heads around this what we've been saved from and it it's was, the same with the, the, the character of god isn't it we it can't was so plan. helpful in that like she was verbalizing what i think i was feeling but didn't mm. know how to put into words just mm. that idea of like Lord, I've heard like how great your wrath, your anger is towards yeah. us. And yet in my frail human mind, like I'll still go and sin mm. today. Yeah. And like, there's just a disconnect, yeah. <laughs> isn't there, between like our head and our heart? Exactly. And of course, this this brings us then to, to the, you know, God's saving us because he loves us, the love of God. Yeah. I mean, like I can't, for me, trying to explain the love of God by cambridge changes just doesn't quite do it yeah. you know um yes his love isn't like yours and mine fickle frail and depends on the, the person being loved but there are parallels with his love and ours because we're made in his image and it's it, it's a real love that's in him um, yeah. anyway so yeah. we're going off so 
I think you probably answered this next question, but I'll I'll give you a whack at it anyway. So mm-hmm. when you say God is mad, yeah. does that mean then talking about this stuff about him not having emotions, I guess, does it mean he loses his temper like I do? Um, what does it mean for God to be mad, to be wrathful? Anything you'd want to add there? Uh, I suppose we don't deny that God has affections, but his affections are either the acts of his outward will or they're applied to God. Like, cause we positive words, like we read that the Lord is a warrior who rejoices over us, dances over us. Yeah. We read about God being pleased with us. Mm. <laughs> that to say that God doesn't feel so, like, doesn't respond mm. to us. He doesn't, whenever we talk about listening to our prayer, I suppose all of this is human language. Yeah. You, it's the babbling stuff that we were talking about mm. off air about how God is. If God was to speak to us in His language, we wouldn't like we yes. wouldn't have a clue. He has to use language, human language that we yeah. understand. Yeah, which is which. Um, is this is this true that uh, the famous like wedding passage about the tongues of angels and of men, like mm. heavenly language that Paul went and heard in the third heaven, whatever that is, like that is a different sort of language like we couldn't understand it or comprehend it i think yeah i think that's one of the possibilities isn't it right. um, i'm I, sorry i'm speculating there i have no idea what well this said. is the one, one of the things that gets me excited about eternity because we'll we'll grow in understanding this so much better won't we through yeah. eternity but at the yeah. same time we won't ever get completely to the bottom of any of these questions about how great god is what it means that he has affections yeah even yeah. though they're not changeable emotions like ours, we'll understand it so much better, understand him better, but we'll never comprehend him. Yeah. I remember saying that the summer actually, where she was talking about growing in her knowledge. I was like, well, we will never feel mm. like, cause he's eternal. We will always be learning more yeah. forever, which is mental. But, but even what we've got in scripture now, if we had 10 lifetimes, we wouldn't get to the depths of, yeah. of that before we actually see God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, better move on before we get too excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things you said, Dave, again, we've kind of answered some of this already, but you said God is not like us. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the questions that went through my head is, in previously in Genesis, we've touched on this, that we are made in God's image. Yeah. So we reflect him in some way. So God is not like us. So how does that fit with us being made in his image? <laughs> uh, you can help me here. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd say that we're like God rather than him being like us. Mm. So yeah uh that might might sound like i've just said the same thing but i think often we're trying to shrink god down to our size and fit him in a box so i'd rather say we bear his image yeah and are like him rather than less idolatry isn't it creating Mm. fashioning things in in god's like this making god small yeah so we're the creation he's the creator so yes god is not like us we're like him Mm and but there's that weird well i keep saying weird probably isn't helpful word there's that mysterious way that we are like him in that the lord jesus took on flesh mm. and we're being transformed more and more into his image yeah. so it's yes and no at the same time <laughs> can I just say dear listeners if uh, your brains are really hurting at this point ours are too you know they, they were before we started this yeah but we, we say it from time to time like, it's really good to have podcasts like this i think that stretch us and show us the areas we can worshipfully think about but never get to the bottom of. And I think that's just another example, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it helps you sing, doesn't it? Like whenever you sing mm. immortal, invisible, God only wise, you're like, oh yeah. 
yeah. he's, he's nothing like us. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to a slightly different sort of question. I think this is possibly a question some people in the congregation would have. I, I've certainly been asked it before. Um, this is another one. Christians, Bible-loving Christians have different views on. So might the flood have been universal, as in it affected all of humanity, um, but not global, as in not literally covering the whole planet? Any any thoughts on that? It's a big topic, I know. So how could it have been universal but not global? Well, I, um, in that people only lived. See, I didn't think he was going to chuck a question back at me. Um, I, from from memory, and I haven't looked into this in depth for a while. I hasten yeah. to add, I, I think some people who would, some Christians who would say there doesn't seem to be strong evidence of a global flood yeah. um, would say, well, does it have to be a global flood? What if all of humanity were concentrated in, in this one part area. of yeah. the, the globe and it just affected that area? Um, I see. Uh, I think if we're saying that this is localized flood, meaning the whole world wasn't flooded, I'm okay with them believing that. Mm. I suppose what I would say, because of the Lord Jesus' words in Matthew 24, his return isn't going to be a localized, non-global yeah. Yeah. event. It's going to be something that everyone can see. Mm. Um, all things will be made new. It's not going to be one specific pocket. And I think 2 Peter 3 also talks about the worldwideness of the flood. Mm. Again, and all these people who think about these things have thought about it a lot more than I have, but it's the same with the gen the creation accounts in genesis like mm -hmm. it says day <laughs> and that, like as in if you'd handed that to an israelite they'd be like that yeah. must mean a day yeah so i am totally fine with people having well thought out biblical answer to take into account hmm. scientific evidence um i'm just such a simple little pleb where i'm like well if god says it and jesus says it good enough for yeah. me so yeah. uh fair I, I yeah, and I think I'd be with you. I I think it was a worldwide flood. Um, I mean, I I do respect the view that says that as long as all humanity were wiped out, because that's clearly what's said there that the earth could mean yeah. the known earth, the yeah. inhabited earth. But yeah, I I I'd be with you that it just reads like it's a worldwide flood. Yeah, and we we can't. Science will never covered this before, and we mm. contradict when all the facts are known. What scripture says, because scripture is god's word and it's yeah. it's true and it's accurate but um i think yeah uh, yeah I'm, I'm going yes i'm going off on a tangent the danger <laughs> of going off into questions we hadn't planned so back to the flood H how do we know you you made a comment that people were warned about the flood you know this shows god's patience and mercy and uh, that it was a long time coming and you said people were warned about the flood <laughs> so how do you know that? Because you don't get that from Genesis six or seven, do you? I, I skipped it. <laughs> I, I as in I, I had a page in my notes and just I must have like whenever I flicked, I must have flicked twice by accident. I had a bit where in two Second Peter, chapter two verse five, we're told that Noah was a herald mm. of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. So he was warning people yeah. of the wrath to come. He was saying there would be a flood. So people weren't without warning. Yeah, um, and we saw last week, didn't we, that Enoch is quoted in Jude, so he was doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, preaching God's righteousness. And I suppose all the Romans one, two, and three stuff were without excuse. Mm. Like we don't give thanks, we don't honor God. Yeah. So you would say that their consciences should have been condemning them, even without saved. that preaching. Yes, yeah. God, God was still have been just in doing that, wouldn't he? Even without the preaching, but his the preaching shows his mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, good one. Okay, a few more questions left. Uh, so you mentioned I, I loved the. I took a shot of the, um, the slides you used about the um, the different things like the ark that point forward to what Christ would do at the cross. Oh, just as a like amazing bit of providence, the yes finished song. Yeah. I don't know that song. We don't sing it in Northern Ireland. I love I that song. I don't know why, but um, the ancient shadows are fulfilled. Yeah, I didn't realize that that line was in the song, which actually fits in perfect really nicely, for this section because there's so many shadows types, aren't there? Yeah. We're gonna, we're going to keep seeing and the, the flood and the ark were amongst them, which you uh, you laid out really well. So one of the things you put on that slide and you mentioned, yeah, one of the shadows types pictures yeah. of what Jesus would do was a snake. So again, people might have been thinking. Some people would have known what you meant straight away, probably. Others would be thinking, "Is that the snake in the garden, or what? What? Yeah. What's that about?" Yeah, what is it about? Um, <laughs> so, I suppose uh, this might be wrong. There's four. There's four main pictures in the Old Testament of God's people being saved from His wrath, from His provision, hmm. and that is Noah's Ark. That is the ones I mentioned today. Noah's Ark, <laughs> uh, the Passover Lamb and the snake on the pole and the scapegoat in Leviticus. My yeah. head's pickled. Um, <laughs> That's so, what happened to me in the previous question. I just forgot completely where I was going. So I, had to wrap. Uh, so I could have mentioned the scapegoat, but we, I suppose we probably talk about that on the Day of Atonement with some mm. Easter stuff in the future. Yeah. Anyway, I think I mentioned uh, the snake on the pole because Jesus talks about himself in yeah. John 3, as you need to look to the son of man as he's mm. lifted up as the snake was in the wilderness. Uh, and that's in John 3, 14, two verses before mm. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Yeah. So actually like, if you want to understand that incredibly known, well-known verse, mm. you should go and. Cause Jesus picked it as a type, as a picture, didn't he? As in, well, who knows? I don't think any of us would have been rushing to look at that story again, <laughs> unless he said, yeah that is a picture of what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, and so for context, this is numbers uh, 21, I think numbers 21, where the people are bitten by poisonous snakes. Yeah. God says, put a snake up on a pole. If you look, you'll live. Yeah. What an amazing picture. Yeah. yeah. Class. Yeah. Which uh, gets to your last jargon busting. Uh, yeah. And I, again, I just relish being able to do this because Dave is always, always skewering me if I use jargon. So, just to get him back. Just a, it's a lovely insight that people have to us too. Whenever the others preaching, just <laughs> <laughs> you just, let's yeah. smash him for that. Yeah, you got to have some fun in the job, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the one of the perks. So, I to be fair, you you did explain it, and I think the language you used, most people in church would probably be clear on it. But it's a good opportunity to say. So, when you said hide in him talking about jesus the one yeah. this is all pointing forward to hide he's yawning sorry all oh, right we're gonna skew him now hide, hide in him be covered by his blood look to him and be saved jargon bust that for us dave what, what were you meaning by those phrases yeah i think if i was looking with hindsight i would have just picked one and fully explained it properly rather right. than do all of them but anyway uh I think I was hoping the Holy Spirit would also apply these mm. concepts to people. Like you do trust that sometimes. Yep. You can't explain everything and the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to remember all this next time you pick me up on jargon because you're absolutely right. Yeah. So <laughs> I think you'd say hide in him. So run away from the other things that mm. you're seeking protection from God's wrath in. So you might say, oh, well, I'm a good person. God will accept me because I'm a good person. Yep. Or 
your money, I don't know, your relationship. Oh, my mom and dad are Christians, so I'll be safe. Mm-hmm. It's saying hide in Jesus, not in those things, yeah. because only in that ark in Jesus will you be safe from mm-hmm. the wrath. Um, so be covered by his blood. That's trust that it's his blood, his righteousness, his death is what makes you right with God, nothing else. Yep. So again, that's sort of, well, it's idolatry, it's all stuff we did in life group, isn't it? Don't trust in those other things. Mm. Be covered by his blood, you're washed by his blood, not by your good deeds. Yeah. And then look to him and be saved. We all look to other things for salvation. I suppose you would say um, to people who believe in other religions, don't look to Buddha, yes. Allah, Muhammad mm. to be saved. You can only... Jesus is the only one you can look to yeah. for hope of God, yeah. hope of eternity with God. So, yeah, yes. yeah nice. I, I don't think we can talk too much, can we, about the different pictures and metaphors for faith in the Bible? Because we, we say have faith in Jesus. Yeah. We need to talk sometimes about what exactly do we mean by that? And that, that really helps. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think it was quite a bumper one, Dave. Well done. Um, and uh, so we're carrying on in Genesis next Sunday. Yep. Uh, so Dave and Amy are off on holiday this week. I hope you have a great week, Dave. And you, you had it. Actually, no, I won't ask if you're heading off anywhere or staying home, just so people don't know. Yeah. They're on, they're on holiday. Yeah, we're somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, see you all next Sunday.